Yes, sir. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you are listening from. This is the voice of A.B. Melchizedek, your servant, serving you all the way from the UK today. We have looked at righteousness for the last couple of episodes. And um, in the next couple of minutes, uh, if I'm honest, do not anticipate this episode being a terribly long one. But again, I make those promises and I don't keep them. So I make no promises this time around. But um, we just want to, if you like, start looking at holiness. Holiness. Um, while we saw that righteousness is a legal term having to do with justification holiness on the other hand uh, or sanctification in hebrew is usually kadosh or kodesh that is holy or to sanctify to make holy and in the Greek, it is the word hagios. And the idea generally is that something is separated unto God. That is the idea of holiness. So you see holiness and righteousness. And although we would see in a subsequent episode that you they go hand in hand, sort of, you need both of them. Uh, not that to accomplish salvation. Both of them are important in approaching God, but they are not the same thing. For the most part, uh, if you grow up in uh, the kind of church I grew up in anyway, and I think that is a church that tends to be legalistic in outlook, these things are just lumped into one, righteousness and holiness. And what they picture is you being colorless and quiet and drab and all of that. No. <laughs> you know, Christianity is not you being boring. If you are a boring person naturally, I mean, that's okay. But, uh, you know, Christianity is not a call to being boring. Walking with Christ was the most exciting adventure ever because you don't know what is going to happen. <laughs> this minute is raising somebody from the dead. The next minute they want to stone him. You know, so you just never <laughs> you just never know what is going to happen when you are walking with Christ. And that is how it is, really. You know, you become alive in Christ. What the world calls fun is them being dead. But in Christ, you become alive unto God. And trust me, it says that I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. An abundance of life is not muteness or boredom. Christ was not boring by any stretch of imagination. Everybody wanted to listen to him. Matter of fact, in the feeding of the 5,000, I believe, you see that in Mark 8. For three days, people sat down with him and we were listening to him. Three straight days. How will you feel if you come online and then you open a podcast? You see that it's 36 hours. 
once you curse me in 57 different languages that you don't speak in your mind and in your heart. But people sat down three days straight and they were listening to Jesus talk. So that was not a boring man. Anyway, I digress. Um, so holiness uh, brings with it the idea of being separated at, at unto God. As a matter of fact, if we look at Strong's dictionary, the definition of that word, hagios, um, I mind you, is also used uh, for saints to refer to a saint, which makes sense because a saint is holy. But the Greek, it means to set apart by or for God. To set apart by God or to set apart for God. Or sorry, set apart by God or set apart for God. That's what it means. So first mention of the word holy is in Exodus 3 verse 5. Exodus 3 verse 5. Then he said, and for context, this is when Moses met God at the burning bush. He said, that is God, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Holy ground. Second mention of the word holy. Exodus 12, verse 26. Sorry, verse 16. I was scratching my head, wondering what was wrong there. On the first day, for context, this is when God was instituting the Passover. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. And on the seventh day, there shall be a holy convocation. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat that only may be prepared by you. So it was talking about a day on which there was to be a holy convocation, so a holy meeting of people. Third mention of holy, Exodus 15, 13. <laughs> I hope nothing is wrong with this recording because I'm looking at it. It has been on six minutes for ages. And unfortunately, you know, our recording here is quite primitive. So <laughs> if there are technical issues, it's a matter of into thy house, I commit my spirit, oh Lord. Anyway, I think it's fine. Let's keep going. It just be my mind playing tricks on me. Third mention of holy, Exodus 15, verse 13. For context, this is when the children of um, Israel were living Egypt, God having done those mighty miracles of parting the Red Sea in Exodus 14. So this is the song that we are using to celebrate, if you would, the acts of God in liberating them from uh, Egypt. It says, you and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. 
You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Holy habitation. Fourth mention of the word holy, Exodus 16, verse 23. Exodus 16, verse 23. For context, um, this, <clears throat> I, after they just finished praising God in Exodus 15, then they went to more important matters in Exodus 16, matters of food. <laughs> it's just funny how human beings are. One minute you are praising God, the next minute, you know, you are just being very stupid. You know, and it gives me joy to see that I'm not the only one like that. You know, human beings are twisted people. The only thing is, it's just God's love. I don't know how God puts up with us, to be honest. As a verse I love so much, I think it's in Second uh, Kings 5, talking about David. He said, David realized that God had put him on the throne for the sake of his people, Israel. Wow, what this spiritual thought. You know, what a moment this guy was having with God. You know what the next verse says? It says, now David married more wives and had more children. <laughs> so from this sanctified thoughts, you know, to matters that had to do with bedroom. Interesting how human beings are. Well, anyway, I digress again. Sorry, all these my digressions today. I'm in a very chatty mood today, as you can tell. <laughs> Uh, so that was the context uh, they were worried about food and then God said don't worry I'm going to give you food uh, six days you are going to gather it but then on the sixth day you gather for two days because on the seventh day I won't send food to you uh, and the rule was you know just gather enough for one day because by the next day it went bad but on the sixth day, the next day it was good, you know, because um, God told them to gather for two days, you know. So Exodus 16, 23, then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Fifth mention of the word holy. Exodus 19.6 Exodus 19.6 And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Context, God had, uh, God was in the process of making a covenant with them, you know. So he told them in verse 6, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a Holy nation. Holy nation. Now, I mean, why have I been going over all the mentions? First mention, second mention. What does this have to do with the topic? The point is, notice that it is the fifth time holiness is mentioned that it is used to refer to people. So for the first time, we see this word being referred to people. The first one was a holy ground. Second one, a holy meeting. Third one, a holy habitation. Fourth one, a holy Sabbath, a holy day.
before you see a holy people. So this goes to show you that holiness does not necessarily have anything to do with how we interpret it. You know, we interpret it as character, we interpret it as this, we interpret No, 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 it's just being separated to God. A day does not have character. A ground does not have character. A meeting does not have character. The Sabbath did not have character. So what made them holy, what, what gave them the right to be referred to as holy was the fact that God had separated those things to himself. If you read further Leviticus 27 verse 9, I believe you see reference to holy animals for sacrifices. If you read when they were consecrating Aaron, I strongly believe that's Exodus 28, 29, you see holy garments. You see holy things in the temple. You see holy vessels. You see a holy place in the temple. What gave all these things, this qualification, is God separated them to himself. That is all. So note that when he first referred to people as having the potential to be holy, there was a... Um, there's some context there as well. Because I read just verse 6 on purpose. But if you read from verse 4 to verse 6, let's give the context now. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, one, and keep my commandments, two, you will be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, this holiness depended on one, obeying his voice, and two, it depended on a covenant. So, as long as Israel kept a, a covenant, one, and two, obeyed his voice, he would see them as a holy nation or they would be separated unto God as a holy nation to him. So the idea is God needed a people or God wanted a people to reflect him and he had the right to he had the right to demand that because he had freed them from the house of Egypt. So again, you know it's just like today when people say, you know, I don't know, why would God tell me how to live? Why would God tell me this? You know, who is God to do this for me? Who is God to demand this of me? God demands that of you because he has paid a price for you in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. So you see, there's a parallel to salvation, even in all these biblical stories, including Israel coming out of Egypt. So God earns the right even if i mean come on he's god he can do anything and nobody can question him but still he's faithful to his character as a even as a law to himself you know it says righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne you know mercy goes before your face so there are certain foundations the authority of god is built on and one of them is righteousness so in everything god does he's righteous he's not he's not a dictator He's not Hitler. He's not Stalin. He's not Mussolini. He's a righteous judge in everything he does. So, 
even for Jesus to become Lord, he had to earn it on the earth. Despite being Lord by virtue of being the one all things we are created for and being the one things we are created by, he had to earn that right to be Lord by paying for the sins of mankind. So when we call Jesus Lord today, we don't just call him that because, you know, just for, we don't just call him that as lip service, you know? It's a title he earned. We don't dash him that title. It's a title he earned by coming to live as we live, by being hated, spat on, beaten, despised, persecuted, but conquering in spite of all these things. Again, I digress, but it ties in with this point we are making that God wanted the people to reflect him and as a token of his goodwill, he first freed them from slavery. So God wanted the people who would be different from the world around them. Note that every nation at this time was walking in their own way. They were worshipping their own gods. I think it's Acts 14, 16. Let me check. Uh, da, 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 the book of Acts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Acts the fourth chapter, I think. No? Acts the fourteenth chapter. And the 16th verse, it says, Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own way. So at this time, every nation was walking in his own way. Every nation was just, you know, living by what they felt was right. But in the midst of all of this, God wanted a people that will be a message to the world around them. So part of every nation walking in their own ways was them worshipping their own gods. And this is why God cracked down severely on an idolatry. The whole Old Testament is just God ranting passionately. Anyway, that's a lie, but not a lie, an exaggeration. Not the whole Old Testament, but a good chunk of the Old Testament is God ranting about idolatry. Oh, my people are forsaking me. Oh, they started worshipping Baal. Oh, they're sacrificing their children to Moloch. Oh, they are doing this. Oh, go to your gods you've chosen. Cry to your gods you've chosen. Oh, my people. Oh, these people. Oh, those people. You know? It says the gods they worship, they have eyes, they can't see. They have ears, they can't hear. Those that worship them are just like them. The whole Old Testament, for the most part, or a good chunk of it again, is God ranting about idolatry. It was a massive deal to him. Because idolatry defeated the entire purpose he had in mind for Israel. So these were people he saved from Egypt. 
notice he established this rapport with them from the standpoint of savior as we have um, earlier discussed but then they became like the world around them in contravention of his laws and in disregard of his grace upon them so observe that holiness even in the old testament by virtue of exodus 19 4 to 6 which we read that it depended on a covenant not even character a covenant a covenant psalms 50th verse fifth uh 50th chapter fifth verse Psalms, 50th chapter, 5th verse. Gather my saints together to me. Remember, saints. I mean, in the New Testament, anyway, it's uh, the same word as holy, not to sanctify. So saints are simply people who are holy unto God. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Who are saints? Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. It's a covenant. Even saints are saints, not because of their character, but because of their covenant. And a covenant is nothing without a sacrifice. Remember Hebrews 8? You know, so there, there, there has to be a covenant before you can talk of holiness. But the Old Testament is a chronicle of Israel transgressing the covenant again and again and again and again that is the whole old testament even moses when he was giving them the law he prophesied it he said look i know the thoughts you think in your heart even now and i know you are a stiff-necked people and i know when i die you are going to forsake god the whole book of Judges is, you know, they fall away from God, they get attacked, they cry to God, God raises up a judge, they worship God, the judge dies, they turn away from God, they get attacked, they remember God, God raises up another judge. That's the whole book of Judges summarized. Or at least um, 17 out of the 22 or 21 chapters summarized. So, towards the end of the Old Testament, in the last prophet, Malachi, a prophecy is made. You know, even we, with our own limited wisdom, I believe it was, I can't remember who defined it this way, I think it's 
I don't know. I heard somewhere in Ziegler, but I never verified that. Anyway, some people say Einstein or whatever. But doing something the same way over and over again and expecting results is, you know, madness. So God says, okay, now we've seen the inability of man to keep my covenant. So what does he do? Malachi 3, verse 1 to 3. Malachi 3, verse 1 to 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a, a laundress soup. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So a messenger who purifies is prophesied. So the work of this messenger is to do what? Is to purify. And if you read the New Testament, you will see that this messenger is Jesus because when they asked John the Baptist, who are you? He referred them to... Uh, he said, I'm a voice. Sorry, no, I'm mixing things up. If you look at the book of Mark, rather, he said, as it is written in the prophets, and he quotes Malachi 3.1, and he quotes Malachi 3.1 to refer to John the Baptist. And who did John the Baptist come to prepare the way for? Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. And it says, and the Lord whom you seek will come suddenly to his temple. Who is the Lord? Jesus. John 13, 13. If I then, your Lord and master. And who does he purify? The sons of Levi. Now, if you look at the book of Numbers, I think it's Numbers 8. You will see that the tribe of Levi, that is a, who, the, and that's the tribe Moses and Aaron came from anyway. Aaron being the first high priest. So that entire tribe was separated unto God. You see the doctrine of holiness again? Separated unto God to do service to him. So those that tribe was the tribe of the holy priests. So the messenger of the covenant was coming to make the holy priest holy, coming to purify them. And again, I think I'm getting ahead of myself. But again, that's why you would see God says there will be to him a nation of priests. A holy nation and a nation of priests to him. Just cross-checking that because a doubt just popped in my head as I said that. Uh, yeah, a kingdom of priests, Exodus 19.6. I was correct. 
So that's why God mentions that as well, because the priests symbolize holiness. And note that he said they, he would do this so that they can offer offerings in righteousness to God. In righteousness to God. So remember the beginning of the episode, we said holiness and righteousness. You know, they go hand in hand. But again, we will look at this in a subsequent episode where we will tie it all up. But that will become important for later. So what have we learned so far? We have learned that one, holiness means to set apart or means set apart, not necessarily to set apart. It means, I mean, it could mean to set apart as well, but it means set apart. It's an adjective. Set apart by or to God. And I, obviously, I know holiness is not an adjective. I mean, the definition is an adjective definition. An adjective is a word that uh, describes a noun. A noun is the name of a person, animal, place of it. <laughs> ah, just uh, showing off that I went to a good primary school there. That's been, that's been fantastic. Anyway, I digress. So holiness means to be set apart by or to God. Second thing we learned, this was done by a covenant. Third thing we learned, the covenant included sacrifice. And we looked at that, not just from Psalms 50 verse 5, but if you go to Numbers 8, 8 to 12. Numbers, in fact, do we read it? Yeah, let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's look at it. I don't like saying things without showing reference. Numbers 8, 8 to 12. Um, I don't know. Do I take it from one? Uh, yeah, I think we have a bit of time to play with. I will just take it from one. No, not from one, from five. Mm, yeah, let's take it from five. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to cleanse them. You shall do to them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purification on them. Let them shave all their body. Let them wash their clothes. And so make themselves clean. Let them take a young bull with his grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil. And you shall take another young bull as a sin offering. And you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of meeting. And you shall gather together the whole congregation of Israel. So you shall bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord a wave offering from the children of Israel that they may perform the work of the Lord. Then the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the young bulls, and you shall offer one as a sin offering, and the other as a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. So you see, even when these Levites, the holy priests, were to be separated as holy unto God from the among the congregation of Israel, now Levi was taken out, then Joseph was split into two. So that way the tribes still remained twelve. So Joseph had, uh, Jacob had twelve sons. 
you know, Reuben, uh, Simon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, um, Zebulun, and all those guys. You know? But then, lastly, he had Joseph and Benjamin. So those were his 12 sons. So if you take Levi out of it, what happens? You are left with 11 sons and 11 tribes. So instead, Joseph, who was the number 11 son, 11, who was the 11th son, now became two tribes so that one of those tribes could replace Levi. I don't know if you are getting the mathematics. 12 tribes minus Levi, 11 tribes. Add one more tribe which came from Joseph. So Joseph became the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh to replace Levi. So, in essence, Levi was technically no longer a tribe in Israel, it became God's own tribe because they were separated from Israel. To have um, to offer up sacrifices to God on behalf of the people, because the high priest only came from the tribe of Levi. And again, if you listen to the last season, this would give you some background of some of the things we discussed in Hebrews um, Hebrews seven, I believe, where it says if there's an if there is we know that our Lord came from the tribe of Judah and not from the tribe of Levi and all of that. We discussed that in the last season. So the point I was making is that this covenant is always by sacrifice. When Aaron and his sons were installed as high priest and priest, Exodus 29. Let's see if we can quickly just take a look at it. I mean, yeah, it's a long chapter. You can feel free to fact check me by reading it all. But because of time, I will just refer to the bullet points. Um, I mean, I mean, even from the opening of the verse, the opening of the chap chapter rather makes my point. And this is what you shall do to them to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Notice it said, this is what you shall do to them to hallow them. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, sanctified be thy name, holy be thy name. So it says to hallow them to me as priests, to make them holy to me as priests, to sanctify them as priests. And how did they do that? Take one young bull, two rams with one blemish, and what was it to be? What was to be done with those things to offer them? So holiness always comes with the price of a sacrifice. So how does this translate to the New Testament? Now again, the same case can be made from. A variety of books 
but uh, for our purposes, we will just use the book of Hebrews. I mean, the whole of the New Testament, you can make that point from lots of other books. I've just chosen Hebrews. By the way, I mean, virtually everything we discuss, you can make that, the same point in a thousand ways. But obviously, we have just one hour, and I don't think there's any point making it in a thousand ways. I think one way is enough. And by the time you read your Bible, um, hopefully it will make more and more sense to you. So you know what we do here? I just read the Bible to you, basically. If you observe, that is what I do for the most part. It's just Bible reading back to you. Because I think the way we read the Bible sometimes, it's, it's yeah, it's... I don't know. I don't know what to say about it, really. If we read any other book that way, we wouldn't understand any book. You know, you just come, you take one line from somewhere, and then you go and you build doctrine on it, and, yeah, it becomes interesting. You know? I mean, yeah, I don't want to give you spoilers, but for our next episode, there's a verse we are going to be looking at, which, my goodness, is the most taken out of context verse, one of the most taken out of context verses for people who like to keep the law. And we'll be looking at that in our next episode. But anyway, um, we will look at Hebrews. So again, this is not a cult. This is not knowledge that is supposed to be esoteric. I advise you anything you learn, anything you hear here, Fact check it, if you would. Read the Bible, check if these things are so. Be like the Berean Christians. I believe they were in Acts 17. I strongly believe it's verse 3. Let me just read that to you. And I'll be very disappointed if I got that quotation wrong. But let's see, Acts 17... Oh, I got it wrong. That's sad. Um, Acts 17, verse 11. So 10 to 11. It says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily, to find out whether these things were so. So please, don't just hear anything here. Because again, I know a lot of the things we say here are new to a lot of people. They are even a tad controversial if you grew up in a legalistic church. The church I grew up in, if I say these things I'm saying, I mean, I'm sure the the, the man at the top of the church will, <laughs> he will be the first to kick me out. You know? Uh, but... Search the scripture. See if it's so. Don't just take what I tell you here, hook, line, and sinker. See if it's so. You know? And we will talk about this in a subsequent season. God help him. But, yeah. Um, Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Now, note that the first work the book of Hebrews says, um, alludes to. Uh, as in this last is appointed to us by his son, 1 verse 2. Who he has appointed head of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins. 
So does this sound like the messenger of the covenant we alluded to earlier? That this messenger is coming to purge the sons of Levi or purify them. And he will purge them like silver and gold so that they could offer sacrifices in righteousness. So it's the first work of Jesus alluded to in Hebrews is he purged our sins. How were they purged? And remember that Jesus came to bring a covenant. Again, we can look at this repeatedly from the book of Hebrews. But remember what he said in the Last Supper. This is the blood of the new covenant. Let me look for that statement in Mark. I strongly believe it's Mark 14. Uh, Mark the 14th chapter and the 24th verse. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many so jesus one purified jesus two brought a covenant and let's look at this from hebrews 7 as well hebrews 7 and 8 um, yeah hebrews 7 verse 18 for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment for its weakness and profitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. Verse 22 says, by so much more, Jesus has become a shorty of a better covenant. Hebrews 8, 7, for if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no place sought for the second because finding fault with them, since these are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 13 of 8, he says, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So Jesus won was the messenger of a new covenant, was the messenger or purified by his work. Two, he brought a new covenant. Three, how did he bring that covenant? Hebrews 10, we look at it from 5 to 10. Therefore, when he, that's Christ, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In bonds, offerings, and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in a volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, bond offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which things are offered according to, the law. Then, according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ 
who wants to follow. We'll take 11 to 14 again, just to get the full picture. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies and made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I think it's another part in Hebrews again that would also make this point. Um, there's a part that says uh, if Jesus is a high priest, he also has to have something to offer. Um, oh. Where's this place? Mm. That's a wrong word. So here I was here. Okay, I'm coming. I will I have to just look for it now. One second. Um. Okay, I think. Yep, yep, yep. Hebrews eight. Verse 3, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, talking about Jesus, also have something to offer. Do you see it? So what have we established from these verses? We've established the three elements to holiness, that it has to be done by a covenant. It has to be by sacrifice. And it has to result in you being separated unto God. So we've shown Jesus was the messenger of the covenant who came to purify, fulfilling the first leg. Jesus brought, it a new, brought in a new covenant, fulfilling the second leg. And that covenant, by the shedding of blood, by the offering of himself, was by a sacrifice. For more details on this, I refer you to um, last season, particularly the ones that talk about a new covenant. The one, I think that was the last episode of the last season. But if you were listening enough, if you, your ears were keen, when I was reading uh, Hebrews 10, 5 to 14, you would have picked out something. It said he had perfected forever those who are being sanctified those things sound antithetical because if you've perfected something forever then there's nothing left to be done so why are people being sanctified if they have been perfected already and to find out why you will just have to stay tuned to listen to the next couple of episodes because we are going to pick up with this train of thoughts in the next episode. So I hope uh, you've had fun listening as much as I had fun recording this. I don't know. I think maybe because I'm alone at home today, that's why I'm, I'm having so much fun with this episode. Uh, but yeah, um, let this 
things we've discussed guide your thinking on holiness. And don't worry, we are going to tie it up with righteousness um, in a subsequent episode as well. So just stay tuned. Um, keep listening. Keep fact-checking. Keep fact-checking, rather. Keep searching the scriptures to see if it's so. I usually advise if you are listening to this, have your Bible nearby. But again, I know some people listen to this driving or listen to this walking on the road. and Yeah, I mean, that's okay. But um, I would gladly have you check these things I'm saying because they are not, they are unfortunately not teachings that are available everywhere. You know, for the most part, we just muddy up righteousness and holiness. And again, there is a case for doing that, but we would see, when we tie it up, we would see why there's a case for doing that. You know. Um, so yeah, that is that. Uh, remember, life is short in the context of eternity. Nothing matters. Except what you do for Christ and the gospel. Take care and have a nice weekend.